Hello, everyone. This is Sean Harwell, and you are listening to the Never Heard of It podcast, the podcast where we talk about stuff about stuff. Mm. And I am joined today, as always, for a slightly less vague explanation of what it is we do by my co-host, the man, the myth, the cough drop. Craig E. Moorhead. The E stands for excellence. Uh, how are you doing, Sean? I'm, I think I'm doing slightly better than you are by the sound of it. A little bit better, but I get I mean, this voice for a little while, so I like to really try it out. I'll try not to cough in our listeners' ears too much. The voice sounds good on you. The coughing doesn't. You know, no. I hope you can get rid of one and keep the other. That would be amazing. I'm going to do my best. I don't okay. see why not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, as you were saying, Sean, uh, you know, this podcast uh, is really about the movies that have slipped through our cracks. And if your crack happens to be 1985, well, you're in luck because we, we're doing a series on the movies of 1985. Uh, and and boy, howdy, are there a lot of movies in that year that you uh, can see. Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> it is. It is. There are about 180. Uh, yeah. Plenty, plenty to keep you busy. Uh, and, and we've been talking about it for, for a good number of weeks now. We're on uh, coming up on, I uh, believe, part 10 of our series. But, but you, you, you just missed our Oscar broadcast where we talked about Out of Africa and Kiss of the Spider Woman and Preetzi's Honor. Man, that, I mean, it sounds like you're recording a trailer when you say that. Like, I that know. So cool. I like so to frame everything cool. I say <laughs> in a this world. way in a world. <laughs> Where movies are your friends. Well, I, I think the two movies we're going to talk about a little bit tonight are definitely friends to a lot of people. And yeah, as we mentioned last episode, we're winding down the series and this calendar year uh, by talking about Back to the Future and Teen Wolf. I mean, if anything, 1985 was definitely the year of Michael J. Fox. Huge year for him and for so many of us who grew up in that area uh, to you know look to him as the guy we kind of want to be. Yeah. I mean, I did. We would love for you guys to rewatch these two movies uh, in this time frame. And in preparation of our full episode where we'll spend uh, a lot of time talking about these two movies. And uh, I'm excited. You know, I, I think it's it's been maybe no more than like three years since I've seen Back to the Future. It's been a lot longer than that since I've seen Teen Wolf. But what about you, Craig? Are they recently watched movies, yeah. these two? Well, we yeah, okay. definitely watched Back to the Future this year because we, we ended up watching all three of the movies with the kids at different times. Oh, no kidding. That's awesome. It's kind of fun when you still have a movie that has the kind of energy that Back to the Future has and the kids just can't take their eyes off of it. Yeah, it's good to introduce them to uh, the idea of terrorism too, right? Yeah, well, you it, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of concepts that they need to get used to, including at some point they'll have to get used to time travel, I'm sure. Yeah, so I yeah, feel yeah. like that's why it's kind of a timeless movie. <laughs> yeah, but and just um, throwing trash in your car, you know? Throw that's trash in your car and then, yeah, one banana peel and you're in 19 or 2015. <laughs> uh, but Teen Wolf, yeah, it's also it's been a long time since I saw Teen Wolf, but I've seen Teen Wolf numerous, numerous times. Oh, so many, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited to get back into it and kind of look at it with a more uh, critical eye. Yeah. Horrible nightmare. Dreamed that I went back in time. 
Well, let me start with a little info on Michael J. Fox here. And, you know, as we mentioned last week, I asked you, just as we were setting up this episode, I was like, hey, I wonder what the J stands for. And you quickly corrected me that it stood for nothing. And you're absolutely right. You know, he was born Michael Andrew Fox. Can't remember if you... You knew the A. I can't remember if you knew the Andrew or not. But I, I anyway. guessed well, Andrew, but I wasn't oh, sure. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. So we'll have to go back to tape. But uh, yeah, born in 1961 in Edmonton, Alberta. Obviously, he's a noted Canadian and highly celebrated there. And uh, his mom was an actress of some regard and also a payroll clerk, apparently. I don't know how <laughs> those two fit together, but in Canada, they do. He did a Canadian TV series called Leo and Me when Michael himself was uh, when he was 15. And here's an interesting little tidbit that definitely deserves a lot more uh, research and information that I'm going to give you right now. Mm. But apparently, Michael is one of four members of the cast of Leo and Me, this movie that he made, series, excuse me, when he was 15, who later developed Parkinson's disease in midlife. Wow. And the thing I read was that this was... You know, so unusual that there was an investigation into any environmental issues that perhaps could have contributed to that. But of course, Wikipedia being Wikipedia, they said nothing else about the results of such investigation. (laughs) So who knows uh, what came of that? That is odd. But he moved to Los Angeles, made the big leap when he was 18 years old. Uh, His TV debut was also, um, his United States TV debut, excuse me, was a TV movie called Letters from Frank. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything else about that. I'll just assume it's Letters from Frank Sinatra uh, to Michael J. Fox himself. Um, But yeah, he was still going by Michael Fox at this point, I think. And the J came a little bit later. And yeah, as you said, it doesn't stand for anything, but it was an homage to the actor of Michael J. Pollard, who played Moss in Bonnie and Clyde. And also was in Roxanne, Scrooge, Dick Tracy, House of a Thousand Corpses. That's awesome. So Fox made uh, his first two feature films uh, starting in 1980 were Midnight Madness and then Class of 1984 in 1982, which Craig... Wait, what? Directed by Mark Lester, who directed Commando, we oh, talked yeah. about in 1985, yeah. written by Tom Holland of Fright Night fame. Beautiful. But yeah, obviously, the biggest ba- breakthrough for Michael J. Fox, you know, actually wasn't Back to the Future in a lot of ways. It was the role of Alex P. Keaton, uh, the young Republican on Family Ties, which began uh, its air in 1982. It was on the air until 1989. Uh, he claims that he only got this role after Matthew Broderick was unavailable for it. And I, I thought this was kind of interesting in that Family Ties was supposedly originally pitched as a show about hip parents with square kids, um, which is kind of funny, right? Right. And I can see why that would sell, especially in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, you've got like the hippie generation growing up and having kids. But I guess like people liked fox's keaton character so much that after by like four episodes they were like nah the most of the show is going to be about him in a lot of ways and uh he won three emmys for that role uh picked those up 86 87 88 yeah that's after back to the future so i mean in a lot of ways you know what he did was really kind of rare you know you don't see a ton of people at that time 
who were both movie stars and TV stars, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think if Bruce Willis was making, was he, was he still doing Moonlighting after Die Hard? I think he did for a little while, yeah. Yeah, but obviously Fox would come back to TV even after uh, the, the end of um, Family Ties there. But yeah, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I also read that he was considered for the Jim Carrey role in Once Bitten. And yeah, I can kind of see that. Maybe we talked about that. I don't remember. But, um, you know, Bad of the Future 85, he was shooting that at the same time that he was shooting Family Ties. And in fact, we'll talk a little bit later, later about that. But that was sort of a big issue for him to even get the role was that schedule with TV. But after Bad of the Future, you know, he, he did Light of the Day, he did Secret of My Success, Bright Lights, Big City, Casualties of War, the De Palma War flick. Um, and so, you know, it looked like he was flexing his muscles a little bit. You know, it's yeah. nice that he had this TV career to fall back on or at least to like kind of like be a staple in, you know, the American primetime, you know, weekly consciousness. And he could yeah. go into these other movies where he was trying to do different things. Uh, and then Doc Hollywood was 1991. Uh, also the same year that he was diagnosed with Parkinson. And he apparently was told that, you know, he should expect to have about 10 good working years uh, in 1991. Um, So he did a bunch, like three roles really quickly. And then he did some smaller roles in American President. And he was in Mars Attacks. Um, The last major film role was The Frighteners, of course. uh, Peter Jackson movie from 96. So great. Uh, But a bunch of voice work, you know, Homer Bound, Stuart Little, uh, and then, you know, from 96 to 2002, he was back on TV in Spin City, which was obviously a, a really big show. He won an Emmy in 2000 for that, three Golden Globe Awards. Yeah. Uh, and then I think in the third season of that is when he told the cast that he had Parkinson's. And I think sort of that was publicly disclosed. And then he retired after the fourth season of that. But he would come back and do best uh, guest appearances. Did a ton of TV elsewhere as well. Boston Legal, Rescue Me. Uh, a couple of stints on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and then did the Michael J. Uh, Fox show. He did uh, 22 episodes of that. Yep. Um, and I lost which year that was in, but it was, <laughs> it was you know, I, I think after, around 2010, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah. somewhere in there, in the late 2000s, if not. Uh, they did a uh, Back to the Future episodic video game, which I kind of remember maybe it was an iPad thing. Um in 2011, in which he did, you know, he participated in that and did the voice of, obviously, Marty, uh, an older Marty, but also, like, the great-grandfather, Willie McFly. Uh, he's done a Lego Dimensions video game where I think he, he reprised the Marty McFly character. Uh, Craig, I didn't know this, and I thought you might like it. He directed uh, an episode of Tales from the Crypt called The Trap in 1991. Yeah, he, he, uh, he didn't really stop. As much as they said he had 10 years left, uh, he really kept going. I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. My God. Do you know what this means? It means that this damn thing doesn't work at all. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that I looked at is if you don't have the trilogy Blu-ray set, I highly recommend. I mean, even if you're mm-hmm. just a slight fan of the movie, that's one of those that the extras are actually good mm-hmm. and there's so much of them and there's, you know, interviews with everybody, but 
he thought that he was not very good in the role of Marty McFly. He was concerned about that um, as wow. they were making it. You know, he said that a lot of it was just due to the fact that, yeah, he was shooting family ties from like nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then he would go to set for Bad at the Future from about 6 p.m. to, you know, sometimes 4 or 4.30 a.m. in the morning. Go home, shower, whatever, fire up the coffee. He said that, you know, there were times there was at least one point where a guy in the crew literally carried him to the car. Um, And so he said that, you know, there was basically two months of this. And then, you know. The movie shot six days a week, so there was a day where he did nothing but Back to the Future, but he was just like so tired, he just didn't know like what he had really contributed to it, or like what his performance had been. He he said he felt completely confident the movie was good, but he just wasn't sure if he if he was good in it. Right. Um, there was a point he said that he was on set for Family Ties, looking around for his video camera at the prop table, and then realized, <laughs> no wait, I'm not marty mcfly on this thing (laughs) um that was kind of fun uh and then i don't know i thought it was kind of interesting because there were at least two moments in separate interviews on this blu-ray where it seemed like he was kind of sliding the fact that he was in teen wolf um and joked about like you know i don't know why i thought that would necessarily be a good move for my career he was like michael landon did a werewolf movie (laughs) he was like maybe it was that but he talked about finding out that uh, Back to the Future was happening while they were shooting Teen Wolf. And it was like, oh, man, you know, he knew Crispin Glover a little bit. And he knew Spielberg yeah. was kind of involved. It's like, oh, man, it would be it's too bad I can't work on that movie. Yeah. Um, because, of course, they had already cast somebody else in the role. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you look at it and it's just like, holy crap. Uh, what a huge, huge break for him. Uh, with this role of Marty McFly and how kind of lucky it is that he got it in some ways. And yet, obviously, I think the movie is lucky that they got him. Yeah, know, I can't uh, imagine another actor in that role. Well, you 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 don't have to necessarily because, of course, we know Eric Stoltz was originally cast yeah. in Back to the Future. I mean, I think that is probably the biggest bit of trivia around this movie. Yeah. And footage exists. Yeah. They shot for a while, and I've seen some of that stuff. And, you know, Zemeckis is pretty candid about the fact that he just didn't think he was getting the comedy out of Eric that the movie needed. And, you know, that's a pretty extraordinary thing to shut a movie down and recast the main character. (laughs) I mean, it's obviously happening right now, Kevin Spacey. Um, But it's not something anybody wants to do. But, yeah, you watch that footage, and it does seem like, he appears a lot more brooding. Than, yeah, like the than movie immediately seems like a like a drama. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, just the physicality of Michael J. Fox, you know, like it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, like it's real hard to imagine that movie with it somebody else. It it totally is, and uh, I don't know. I mean, you in some ways, I've always kind of felt bad for Eric Stoltz because of that. Yeah. But you know. He is a different actor. I mean, he's a definitely a different kind of performance, and he did fine in 1985 as well. Obviously, he was in Mask, and that was a big, yeah, big role for him. He so, was you know, fine. He's fine. I mean, I don't know if he's bad. Future fine, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like we don't need to do a complete rundown of this movie. I mean, obviously, no. you know, most of the main people involved. I'll highlight just a few little. 
of the minor cast members here because, you know, it's always like, oh, yeah, I forgot this guy was in it. Uh, Casey, I think it's Samashko. I can't ever get his last name correct, but the guy that yeah. played 3D – He's mm-hmm. basically just a guy in 3D glasses. A lot of you might know from 3 O'Clock High. Um, great, great movie. Billy mm-hmm. Zane was in Back to the Future. Played a character match. Uh, so look for him when you're rewatching it. Uh, Jason Hervey, who was the older brother on uh, The Wonder Years. Right. You'll, you'll recognize him in there, of course. Uh, Courtney Gaines from... Now, was he... He was not Malachi in Children of the Corn. He was, he was the other guy, right? He was, he was Malachi. Malachi. Because, okay, I always yeah, get him confused, right? Because well, the guy comes out after being like, you know, eaten by the demon or whatever. Yeah. He's saying, Malachi. Okay, yeah. And so it's Malachi. Okay, yeah. That's Courtney Gaines. Um, and then uh, Gary Riley here, who I think a lot of you might recognize from summer school. He was uh, he was either Chainsaw or Dave. We were just talking about this. I can't remember yeah. which one it was. But I love that movie so much. And, and he was the beret-wearing one, basically, mm-hmm. with the long blonde hair. I uh, love that guy in that movie. Um and yeah, I think that's about it cast wise. And obviously, I don't know, watching the extras gave a good sense of just how much this movie was really Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, mm-hmm. uh, the co-writer and co-producer, I think, who had worked with Zemeckis quite a bit before this. And um, this was a story that they had in mind for years and they struggled to kind of like crack it until apparently Bob Gale was home visiting his parents and happened to look through his father's yearbook, his high school yearbook, and was like, oh, my dad was the class president. That's, <laughs> yeah. like, that's so weird. Like, would I even like wanted to hang out with this guy or, or what? Like, was he cool? And so I think that kind of was like the germ to kind of make this sort of time travel nugget fit yeah. into an actual plot. And so they pitched it and they sold it to Sony uh, and then so they took him about five months to do the initial draft, which was nice to hear because, <laughs> you know, these, those first drafts always take forever. Yeah. Um, they said because of the movie, you know, and I'm really excited to watch it again, obviously, for a number of reasons. But uh, when I think of this movie, like one of the things I do think about is set up and pay off like mm-hmm. every single thing to a T. And oh, he yeah. said that that's that's what they did. They would outline with index cards, and so they would come up with something like, oh, what if Marty uh, invents rock and roll inadvertently? It's like, okay, right. well, let's put that card here. And then it's like, okay, well, obviously, we got to have another one where Marty's interested in rock and roll or can play the guitar. And so all that stuff, like, that's just what they did. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, they wrote the script, and uh, Sony passed. Because <laughs> that's what you do if you're Hollywood, right? <clears throat> yeah. Um. And everybody else did, too. And they claimed that at the time, you know, there was really just I think this was around 81. There was a big push to making edgier R-rated comedy. And so they kind of thought this was a little too, um, you know, I don't know. what's the it, word. It'd I'm be like for. a kid's movie or something. Yeah, they, they it was a little a more movie. tuned to the family side of yeah. things and innocent, uh, especially playing mm-hmm. into the 50s squareness of it all. Yeah. Um, and so they said the people kept saying, we should take it to Disney, take it to Disney. And so they took it to Disney and Disney was like, what, what the hell? Like, we can't make this. Like, it's about a guy who's going back and his mom wants to like, you know, <laughs> make out with him. What? Are you crazy? So uh, nothing happened for a while. And, um, you know, eventually, I-, I think even in that process, they had backed a 
bit away from having Spielberg attached. You know, Spielberg loved the script and and offered to do that, but they were concerned that they had made movies with Spielberg before and none of them were hits and they didn't really kind of want to just be thought of as like, oh, the only reason these movies are getting made is because they're friends of of Stevens. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, Spielberg made E.T. and, (laughs) you know, had this deal at Universal and Amblin and basically can do anything he wants to. And so this was the first movie for Amblin Universal with Spielberg producing and not directing. And, um, you know, he's, he was able to set it up there. And, uh, you know, I mean, the rest is, is, is history in a lot of ways. Um, I think another, like, thing that I had heard before was the story Spielberg's telling. You know, I think he's told this in various filmed documentaries of sorts that, you know, one of the big notes, one of the only notes they got from the studio exec Sid Scheinberg was late in the process that he came up with. He didn't like the title, and so he came right. up with the idea that they should call it Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, you can kind of see, like, he's referencing the, the sort of the Darth, quote-unquote, Darth Vader scene in the movie yeah. itself. There's a comic, I think, that's got something to do with zombies from Pluto. And uh, they thought that was an absolutely terrible idea, but didn't know how to tell them. And so Spielberg sent a note saying, ah, oh, that was such a hilarious suggestion. Like, thanks for making us laugh this morning. And uh, Scheinberg never mentioned it again. <laughs> um, but I think to his credit, you know, they, they definitely said that after, you know, they had one great test screening super quickly after rap. I mean, it was like maybe within a month, I think, even. Um Trying to remember where I had that written down there. Uh, sorry. But enthusiastic response. Uh, yeah, first preview, three weeks after finished shooting. Sorry. Um, audience knew nothing about it going into it. Um, but enthusiastic. They did another one. Same thing. Scheinberg was there. They said, this movie cannot come out in August. It's got to be July 4th weekend. They bumped it up. And so they hired more crew for post. And nine and a half weeks after they wrapped, they were in theaters, which is wow. quick, um, especially for a movie this it, big yeah. and that good. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, and then I, I think, you know, one more sort of like big trivia thing with this here that I, I didn't I had never sat down and watched, but they have storyboards for this entire sequence. There was an original ending to the movie that had nothing to do with the clock tower. And instead, the way that Marty was going to get home was he was going to drive onto a nuclear test site, (laughs) which, you know, this is the 50s. There's a lot of nuclear fear there, and they were testing these things. And so you were going to see, they've got it all storyboarded out, um, you know, as they dropped this explosive, that was going to give enough energy to send him back to get up to 88 miles an hour. And they would also, you would see the sort of the mannequin housewife inside the home at the breakfast table, you know, and the family, the mannequin family. And you would see their clothes burning and all that stuff, which I think eventually made it into Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Right? I mean, that kind of got, and you sort of see like, I don't know, if whatever you're of the opinion of the whole fridge thing doesn't matter, but... uh <clears throat> It's hard to recover from using a nuclear weapon in a movie in any way, I think. Yeah. So they definitely said it was a better choice. 
Uh, and it was mainly excised because of budgetary things. That was a sequence that after they storyboarded, they were like, oh, that might take a million bucks to shoot. Yeah. Uh, when the budget was tight, they decided we could lose that sequence, save a million bucks, come up with something else. And that's when they came up with the lightning and the clock tower, that whole thing. And that's so, a good sequence. Uh, yeah. I mean, it would be a very different movie, I think, if if they uh, had gone with that ending in a lot, a lot of ways. Agreed. So check that out. They also did at one point consider using a fridge instead of a DeLorean when they were trying to figure out what the time machine should be very early on. Really? They rightfully suspected that, uh, yeah, kids might get stuck in refrigerators after the movie came out if that's what they went with. And also that, well, if you had a time machine, you'd want it to be mobile because you'd want to take it with you uh, wherever you went, right? So (laughs) uh, I think they made the right call. Um, And then lastly, just kind of as we've talked about, you know, just just a monster, monster hit. I mean, it made $210 million uh, domestically uh, that year. Uh, I think it came out was number one, did better the second weekend, even though the first weekend was huge, and then it was number one for 11 of the 12 following weeks. Um, wow. So that is crazy. Uh, just a monster, monster hit. 70 million, uh, excuse me, about 60 million more than the second place movie in 1985, which was Rambo First Blood Part Two. Oh, one quick thing. I'm sure you knew this. Crispin Glover was in Friday the 13th, the final chapter, right? Which is an 84 movie, but since we talked yeah. about A New Beginning, uh, you're the aficionado. Does he have a big role in that movie? Yes. Okay. God, it's one of the things again. that makes that movie the best Friday the 13th movie. And that's the one with Corey Feldman too, right? It's also the one with Corey Feldman. Yeah, okay. I'm going to watch that this weekend. That's what's Trust happening. Trust me. Trust me. You little bastards just won't give up, will you? Listen, no ID, no goddamn beer. Can't you get that through your thick skull? Give me a keg of beer. Speaking of a different kind of horror, what can you tell us about Teen Wolf? <laughs> Teen Wolf, Sean, it's a movie that was made in, uh, it came out in 1985. <clears throat> now, really? this movie was, it, the movie was shot before Back to the Future, as we already know mm-hmm. from what you were telling us. In fact, Michael J. Fox's character in Teen Wolf is named Scott Howard. And Scott Howard's house was on the same block as George McFly's house and Lorraine Baines's house. Get out of so town. That's, so basically he was like watching a Steven Spielberg movie getting made. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that close. God. And just wishing to God he was a part of it. <laughs> wow. Which I think is like, I, I mean, I love that story so much. Uh, yeah. And it just totally makes sense because, man, that guy just... Gave 150% on that movie. But to be honest, all the things I remember about Teen Wolf, it's not like he was phoning it in. No, um, I didn't think so. Yeah. <clears throat> you know? So so what we've got here, uh, Teen Wolf was directed by Rod Daniel, who also gave us K-9 and Like Father, Like Son. Ah, okay. Remember those? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the writers were Jeff Loeb and Matthew Wiseman. Did that, does that sound familiar? No. They Should were, it? Well, yes, they were the writers of Commando. The commando okay. that we ended up seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, <clears throat> obviously it stars Michael J. Fox, who uh, you might have heard of him from mm-hmm. Back to the Future. His dad is played by James Hampton, love that who guy. was in Sling Blade. I love this guy. Yeah, so I think good. He's such a good dad in this uh, 
in this movie, but he was also in a movie called Homps. Uh, that's H A W M P S exclamation point. Homps. <laughs> I'm putting that on our list. Yeah. I got to, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to look and see what it was about. I didn't even, Homps doesn't matter with a title me, like that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's got to be great. Uh, Susan Ursidi, who plays Boof, which is Boof. still, yeah. that's, that's a, a, a name, a nickname that gives me trouble. But uh, <clears throat> uh, she was in a, in a show that I remember loving in the 80s called TV 101. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Mm. <clears throat> but uh, other than that, uh, not a whole lot going on. You got Jerry Levine, who uh, uh, plays Styles. He's, he's more director now. Directing yeah. like episodes of Elementary and so on. Now and then you've got two people who I think are not just good people in the world of of show business anyway, but in this movie particularly uh, are um, bright spots. Number one is Jay Tarsus. I haven't seen Teen Wolf in a long time, Sean, and yet yeah. Jay Tarsus, who plays the coach, is probably the part I'm looking forward to the most. I don't remember. Well, yeah, okay. you don't remember now, and that's fine. He's not a huge part of the movie. I think I know who I would the other argue, one's going to be, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I would argue, though, that he is the funniest part of the movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, oh, Gosh, man. I don't remember. The okay. guy is great. And he now he's a writer, mainly a writer. He's written on just every comedy thing. Like Carol Burnett, he wrote The Great Muppet Caper. He's an uncredited writer of Short Circuit. No kidding. He, uh, he wrote tons of stuff. But... Him as the coach is the best, best part of this movie. Okay, I'm going to hold <laughs> you to that. Let's see. <laughs> but there's also Mark Holton, who plays a character named Chubby, an unfortunate yeah. name. But you'll remember him from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Francis, Francis Buxton. Francis. Uh, I love that guy. He, so good. He's, he's yeah. like, it's a nothing part in this movie for him, which sucks. But he is, I just love the guy. I think he's great. Oh, I can I can see him on the basketball court right now. It's mm-hmm. no troubles, right? That's a pretty sure he eats a sandwich with while playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not subtle. Fat humor uh, was fat big in eighty five, but yeah. it's uh, it's there. It was big in eighty um, five. Music is Miles Goodman. He did Sister Act two. You've got a DP named Tim Surstet who shot Mannequin. Sounds good. The whole deal with Teen Wolf was it? It was a movie that everybody who was involved with it. To begin with, they just wanted to make a cheap movie. The, the whole production ended up, apparently it says, production costs were about a million dollars. Wow. So it's a super cheap movie. Yeah. Which I That's never crazy. even really thought about. I mean, clearly it's cheaper than Back to the Future. I mean, that might be in line with like Private Resort, if I remember correctly. I mean, budget-wise, right? Probably so. Probably so. Because like Private Resort doesn't really look that cheap. But if you said it was a million dollars, you'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, right? That, yeah, I could see you you could make that for a million dollars. Because, yeah, there's nothing, like, aside from the makeup in this one, there's nothing, like, that's really... No, no, not at all. So uh, Michael J. Fox took the role, and then Meredith Baxter Burney got pregnant, so there mm-hmm. was a break in family ties. And so he was able to do this one. Yep. Uh, apparently without... He, he's much more well-rested in Teen Wolf, which uh, <laughs> we'll see how that affects his performance. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, in Brazil... When it was released, I feel like we actually said this somewhere before, but in Brazil, when this movie was released again, after Back to the Future, they retitled it The Boy from the Future, uh, yeah. which I just think is great. So good. Um, the movie is set in Nebraska. 
but they shot everything uh, in California. Because again, yeah, it's it looks cheap. like it. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no way they have uh, money for that. But Rod Daniel went to Fremont, Nebraska. The story is he threw a dart at a map and it hit Fre- Fremont, Nebraska. So he went to Fremont, Nebraska. He spent three hours talking to 30 high school seniors there to see what teen life in a small Midwestern town was like. Mm-hmm. And apparently he used a bunch of that stuff in the, in the movie. And so there's a screen credit thanking them. Wow. So three <clears throat> yeah. hours, that's all he needed to figure out everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, I mean, there. yeah, uh, probably almost none of them were actually werewolves. So you can only take that so far. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if that's the the T-shirt that Styles wears. Maybe he got that idea from. I mean, that's a to see him writing that. Oh yeah, Dick knows. Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, entire production was twenty one days. Jesus. Apparently, and I'm still confused about this. I was trying to get confirmation of this, and I feel like this isn't true. But when the crowd is shown at the end of the final game of the movie, mm-hmm. you can see Emilio Estevez standing in front of Booth. Huh. That seems not true. I don't know. I I don't know. My source might be wrong on that. Uh, But my favorite bit, my favorite little bit of uh, a trivia, and I would kind of love to see it, is that uh, the director said that somewhere in a vault is about an hour of the most embarrassing sports footage ever taken. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to see that. But that that's kind of my rundown on Teen Wolf. Um well, Looking the, forward to seeing it again. See what's up. It made $33 million. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, I, if that's not a bump from one actor, like nothing is. Oh, I mean, that sure. is outstanding. That's 26th on the year, uh, hey. just just underneath Commando and um, yeah. ahead of the reissue of 101 Dalmatians and Silverado and Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Desperately Seeking Susan and a lot of other movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I can say for sure. I wanted to see this movie because of Back to the Future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that specifically. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to see that because he was in Back to the Future. That's it. Yeah. And the studio yeah. here is listed as Atlantic. And it looks like, uh, you know, they're no strangers to teen movies. They had done Valley Girl in 83, which made $17 million. Big, big return there. Uh, I also did like Smurfs and the Magic Flute. They did the He-Man movie. Um, Here come the Littles. What else we got here? Heathcliff. Uh, just an interesting. Wow. They did the Garbage Pail Kids movie. I mean, the oh, infamous, wow. awful Garbage Pail Kids movie. Terrifying. So yeah, I, I kind of wonder what happened. And then maybe we'll dig into that studio a little bit more when we talk about it next week. Sorry, I'll throw this out to you as well. Something to look for. I won't give you the answer. But so Jeff Loeb, one of the writers. Uh, also wrote uh, most famous for writing tons and tons of comics. And there is a very direct uh, reference to a specific comic book character in the movie. Okay. Uh, not, not hidden at all. Just right, right out there for you to see okay. and or hear. So right. um, yeah. So uh, just uh, keep your, keep your eyes and ears open. I, again, you got to watch both these movies with us. Come join us for the ride. We'll finish out the holiday season and the year here and uh, on a high note. And uh, come visit us online. You know where to find us, neverheardpodcast.com. We'll take you everywhere you need to go. And thanks for being you. That's perfect. That's a perfect ending.